Okay, so we are starting the series, Who Stole My Christmas. There's a lot that can get stolen at Christmas time. You know this, right? There's your time. Like, where does your time go? Uh, for some of us, it's funny. We sing joy to the world, and joy is one thing that gets stolen from us at Christmas time. If you felt that way where sometimes you wake up on Christmas morning and you're just like, where did this go? And you just feel like the whole thing was stolen from you. We want to talk about those things over these next few weeks, but I want to start by asking the question, like, when you think about who stole my Christmas, one of the things that can get lost so easily is actually the purpose of it all in the first place. How you see Jesus, who this guy was, why did he come, what was his identity, how you answer that question will define in some ways more than anything else what this Christmas season is going to be like. Who was this guy? What was he all about? Some people say this, some people say that, some people say this. What do you think? How did you get there? That's, that's what we want to talk about this morning. I, um, I, had a, I think one of the things that's so funny about the Christmas season is you end up having these dinners and you end up having these parties. And a lot of times, you know, Christmas season, you think of it that you're going to be with people that you know and love and family and that kind of stuff. But often at Christmas, probably more than any other time of year, you end up eating and being around people you don't know. And I, I remember years ago, is, this is when I first kind of became a Christian and I was trying to understand what that meant. I first became a Christian. It was a kind of the Christmas season and I was sitting down having a dinner and I was sitting next to somebody that I kind of knew, but they were 20 years older than me and I felt like I should know them more than I, sh than I did and, and I looked up to them, but I'd only met them a couple times and we had the most awkward and interesting conversation. He turned to me, we're sitting at Christmas, he turned to me and he goes, so I hear you're a Christian. First of all, who says that? Like, who leads with that at, you know? So I hear you're a Christian. I was like, yeah. He goes, no kidding. He goes, come on, man. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Are you serious, Jim? Come on, man. You're going to believe all that old stuff? You're going you're gonna to believe all the stuff that the church has been teaching for hundreds of years? Do you realize, Jim? that our thinking about spiritual things and our thinking about who Jesus was has really progressed a long way. Come on, man. You gonna believe all that old stuff? And I kind of turned to him and I said, what do, you, what do you think? He goes, here's what I think. I think Jesus had one thing right. Jesus had right that the divine is in us. He, he knew that he was divine, that he was God, but that's true of me, that's true of you. That's true of everyone, that God is in us and we are on a progressive path just like Jesus was. But most importantly, Jim, don't ever be one of those arrogant Christian jerks who thinks he knows everything and has the corner of the market on truth. Because the truth is, is that what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is what's true for me. And we just need to live with each other and say, you think what you think and feel what you think and believe what you think and I'll think what I think and believe what I think. And that's, that is how people think today. So don't buy all that old stuff. I remember sitting there listening to him and like, like I said, I was kind of a new Christian and I'm thinking, huh, yeah, maybe I'm jacked up. Maybe, maybe I've got this thing all wrong. Maybe I am buying some old story and it really caused me to start debating, like, who is this guy? 
Who really was Jesus? Guys, this is the season everybody's asking that question still. Today, 2,000 years later, you're going to get into line at the grocery store during this Christmas season, and it's going to be right in your face, right? You're going you're to go to the grocery store, and right there on the cover of, like, Newsweek, and, uh, you know, you'll see it there. You'll see it on the cover of Time. You'll see it on National Geographic. You're going to see it on the cover of Life magazine. That dude still sells magazines, doesn't he? People still want to buy and read about who was this guy. And I love this last one, right? Because Jesus has got the sweet hair and he's got the puppy dog eyes and he's looking at you and he's saying, who do you say that I am? That is the question to start Christmas with. That's, that's the way that we ought to start this question of who stole my Christmas. We got to start with the question, who do you think this guy really was? And sometimes we can look at the Bible and kind of the time that Jesus lived and we can think, gosh, that culture was so much different than ours and in some ways it was. But we can look at that and think, oh, there's nothing really relevant to today. But man, that question originated right during Jesus' life. The debate started raging even when Je before Jesus had hit the grave. The debate was on on who this guy was. I want to show you the scripture where that comes from. It's actually from Matthew chapter 16. Uh, and Jesus, uh, th this is kind of the setting by which that question came about. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now leave that up there for a second because I want to talk about a couple things on this passage. So I want you to picture Jesus, and he's with his, his followers or with them, and he's walking along, and he comes up to this town, Caesarea Philippi. And if you can't tell by the name, it's a very Roman town, right? Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. And he's standing. I want you to picture him and his followers are standing on a hill, and they're looking out on this Roman city. And guys, if you know anything about kind of Greek and Roman gods, this city had everything, right? All the different gods that they're worshiping, praying to. There's a temple over here and there's stuff going on over here. And, and the, the culture is just full of people thinking different things and beliefs. And it's all over the map. And in the midst of that, Jesus is looking at it, talking to his followers. And he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's an interesting question. He doesn't say, he doesn't start with, who do you say I am? He starts with the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Have you ever wondered, have you ever seen that before where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man? What's he talking about with that? I, I, for a long time I thought, well, it must be like C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, he, he talks about Peter and Lucy and Edmund and all those guys. He talks about them as being uh, the daughters of Adam or in the sons of Eve, like that kind of idea, it kind of a general term for humanity. Is Jesus just saying that he's kind of a general human term, the son of man? Is that what that is? It's actually not. Jesus in that statement is saying something to you guys. You know, anybody who would have had any familiarity, any Jew would have understood that when Jesus says the son of man, he's actually referring to a passage in the Old Testament in Daniel that prophesied that somebody would come called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man would come and save others, save the world. But not only that, that Son of Man pre-existed time. That the Son of Man was God himself who was going to come into the world, the Ancient One. Man, Jesus, 
just claimed that title for himself. Not a son of man. He says, who do people say the son of man is? Guys, in that statement, he's claiming to be God. He's making a claim about himself. He's simultaneously asking the question, who am I? And he's giving the answer. All in one little statement right there, which is really important because for some of us, we look at that and we think, I wonder, did Jesus really think he was God? Or did a group of people, the church, come back later and just kind of wrote stuff in and changed him into God? Was Jesus just a guy who was a nice, good guy, good teacher, that the church came along and later turned him into God? And if Jesus himself were here, he'd be like, holy cow, I can't believe that they made me into God. That's not what I intended. Do you ever wonder that? It's passages like this that you've got to grapple with then. Because you don't see anybody else later, any other Christian writings really referring to Jesus as the Son of Man. It's a, passage, it's, a, it's a term that he just uses for himself. And he doesn't just do it here. He does it in other places as well. The Son of Man, the Son of Man. It's a very hard argument to say that these aren't original words of Jesus. That his self-understanding... Jesus' self-understanding was that he was God on earth. He was the Messiah who had come. And that puts some of us in a bind because some of us in the culture, we want to call him a good teacher, and yet I don't see how you can be a good teacher and also think that you're God. That makes me feel like you're kind of whacked. You're either this or you're this. I'm having a hard time merging the two, but Jesus' self-understanding was that he was God himself, and he asks his disciples this question. How do they respond? Look at this in verse 14. Well, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or that you're one of the prophets. So if you think reincarnation is something that just is new today, no, this is in the water way back then. Remember John the Baptist who was beheaded? Some people think that you're back, that you're him and you're back, or you're Elijah, prophets, all these guys who've been dead for years, that you have come back to life. Guys, the culture is abuzz about who this Jesus is, and everybody has their own different opinion about him. Some of them are probably saying, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. Guys, you hear this all the time. This is, this, this is so relevant because the question and what they were saying about Jesus then is the same thing we hear today. Uh, my boys, Josh and Micah, uh, teenagers at uh, Fairview, they're teaching me about rap music, okay? And I'm learning. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning all, some, sometimes more than I want to know uh, about rap music. And, but they introduced me to somebody, this rapper named NF. And this guy, if you haven't heard NF, is wildly talented, wildly talented artist. And in fact, he's, he's a Christian, but his music is like getting on the top of the charts uh, for some of his albums. Amazing stuff that he sings about with incredible passion. And not just the Christian charts, okay? This guy, he's the real deal, very well known. My son was telling me, um, showed me an interview that NF had with this guy and the topic of spirituality and faith comes up. And I want you to see this. If you don't know who NF is, he's the guy in the hat, but I want you to pay special attention to the interviewer, the guy who's British who is interviewing. Listen to what he says right here. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's, such, it's such an interesting thing. I remember when I was young, um, and I don't know if you believe in God or whatever, but when I was young, 
I, uh, because I was brought up in church, I actually went through a stage in my life where I was like, I don't even know if God's real. You rebel. So that's what yeah. I was about to say. I'm a yeah. very spiritual person, yeah. but I was raised in the church and was forced to go to Sunday school and yeah. things like that. And I rebelled. Yeah. But then I, then I realized that God or whatever you choose to believe yeah, yeah. is actually in you. So you yeah. choose to, you know, praise whatever very, you want, believe in what you want, yeah. feel how you want to feel. I think it's very... So just for the record, this is the second sermon now that I have mentioned a rapper um, and so I just want to make it clear. I'm a 46-year-old bald guy, extremely relevant, okay? Just right on, yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, did you hear what the interviewer said, though? I thought it was so interesting. It's the, it's the theme of much of the culture that would say, hey, you know, what is true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. That's the same thing that's going on with Jesus while Jesus was even alive himself. Some people think this, some people think that. Some people, you know, they're debating his identity. And in the midst of that, and you see in verse 15, Jesus responds by saying, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And I love it. And that's the, that's the Christmas question. That's where we have to start. Jesus takes it from this macro level, what is everybody saying out there, and he narrows it right down on you. Who do you say I am? He makes it personal. And so I think that's the question that we have to ask today too. Who do I think he is? Who do you think he is? How did you get there? What impacted you on that journey? If you find yourself in a position where you'd agree with the, interv the guy who's interviewing NF, how, how, what forces, what, what things led you there? Or if you believe something different about Jesus' identity, what, how did you end up there? I think there are things that are impacting how you think about the question, who do I say I am, that we're just completely unaware of. And it is swimming all around us. It's swimming in our media. It's swimming in our Thanksgiving dinner conversations. It's swimming in the political environment in the U.S. right now. It is, it, it is so ingrained. There are things that are influencing you, things that have existed like before we were born that are all kind of coming together. And I want us to think deeply about what is impacting my answer to that question and why. I want to show you... Um, thought on this. You guys would be proud of me. I have terrible handwriting. So I, I wrote it out beforehand so that I could actually spend time on it. This is really smart. Um, I, I, I want to show you something that I think happened about 100 years ago. I think that that conversation that I had over that dinner, that interview that you saw with NF, I think some of it has its roots in something that happened 100 years ago in the U.S. Think Roaring Twenties, Think the U.S. in a different spot. Think, and there's churches and there's people and people are all over the map about what they believe. But I really think that what happened was is you had two different groups about 100 years ago that kind of started to emerge. And the groups, the groups, these, these people had a relationship to a couple things. On the one hand, they had a relationship to causes, things that they cared about, things that they were willing to fight for. And they had a relationship also to answering that question of who is Jesus Christ? This is going on in our churches 100 years ago. 
But what happened is, is one group started to emphasize one thing and another group started to emphasize something else. You know, you had, you had one group that started saying, what really matters is causes. And they had great passion around equality for women. They had great passion around racial justice. They had great passion around how do we take care of the poor and the hurting. And they started to emphasize this, that like we are about this stuff. This is who we are. And in the meantime, you had another group, and guess what they started to emphasize? They started to emphasize something different. They started saying, you know what, for us, really what it is is understanding the scripture, understanding who this Jesus is, being able to answer the question, who do you say I am, and answer that correctly according to scripture. This group started really pushing on that end of things. And in fact, uh, this is right about this time, somebody in this group started writing something and they wrote something that just kind of laid out what they believed and they called it the fundamentals. Uh, if you've ever wondered how the term fundamentalist, where that came from, a lot of people think that that's, that was the beginning of it, with this group starting to emphasize, here's exactly what we believe. Now, here's a question for you. Do two different groups that emphasize different things, do they often come together, talk, and decide together, you know what, you have some really great points, and we have some really great points, and we're going to work together and move forward? Do you see that a lot? Come on, guys, donkeys and elephants, red and blue. No, what groups do is they polarize each other. As this started to happen, you guys, they got pushed further and further apart. And what what groups want to do is they want to make sure that they're not associated with the other group. And so these guys are emphasizing causes, and they're looking at these guys, and what they care about is, is getting the right answers about who Jesus is. And they're looking at it saying, well, they don't care about causes. They don't care about causes the way we do. And these guys are looking at this group saying, well, they may care about causes, but they're heretics. They're not answering the questions right. And so they get deeper and deeper divided and push each other in opposite directions. Because this is is what's impacting us today as we get pushed further and further apart. And the sad part is this stuff is affecting us. It's affecting how we answer, who do you say I am? And it's also affecting the way that we care about other people. Because we find ourselves getting swept in one of these different groups. And what I want to do for a second is I want to take a moment, because I know that in this room, there are people that are all over this spectrum. There are people that fall here, and there are people that fall here, and everywhere in between on this. And I think it is worth us at least stopping to examine and even get pushed a little bit. So I just, will you allow me humbly to push on both sides here because I think we've got to think deeply about where do we land because it matters with Jesus' question, who do you say I am? If you find yourself more in this category, and I would define this category as people who care deeply about causes, but who may share what the NF interviewer viewpoint is or share my friend at the dinner conversation and may say, look, what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. I I wanna start with this group and I just wanna push, and I hope this is a gentle push on this, just to think, if you're going to be in this camp, I think there's some reasons why I would not stay there. There may be reasons for sure to stay in this camp, but I wanna give you three reasons why I don't think 
you should stay in this camp. Let me, let me break it down for you and just see this. Here, here's the first reason. The first reason is this group can be easier to stay in because it's just more socially acceptable. Come on, you guys know. If you're in your work or your neighborhood or your school or you're part of CU somehow, you have interaction with people all over the map, it is a, it is a much more socially acceptable position to say to somebody, hey, look, when it comes to faith and spirituality, whatever you think is good for you and whatever I think is good for me, and let's just live in peace with each other because of that. that is a very socially acceptable thing to say. I just want to ask the question, though. Just because it's socially acceptable, does that make it true? For some of us who wouldn't completely identify ourselves in this camp, part of the struggle that we have is, I'm not convinced that I can create my own spiritual reality. I actually don't trust myself enough for that. I'm not convinced that there isn't something that sits outside of me that's objectively different than I am, that I actually, I can't control that. I can't, you know, design that into whatever I feel like I want it to be. It's like, it's like if I were to say to myself, you know what, um, I think that I have a condo on the beach in Santa Barbara. You know, I might feel that and think that, but I'll tell you what, it ain't true. That's kind of an objective reality that's different than just me. And yet, at the same time, I also don't want to be an arrogant jerk. I don't want to be one of those Christians that's saying, well, I've got all the truth figured out, and sorry, you don't. Somehow, somehow to believe that there is something different outside of yourself that you actually can't shape into whatever you want it to be gets taken as being arrogant. How, how does that happen? I think one of the reasons it happens is because sometimes there are arrogant jerk Christians. You know, one of the best little scriptures is from 1 Peter. Peter is writing this letter to this church and he's coaching them on how do we live in a culture like the one we live in. And he says to them, always be ready to have a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to describe why do you believe what you believe? Why is Jesus, why do you believe he's the son of man? Be ready for that. And this group often looks at that and says, yeah, I'm ready. I got my arguments and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go out and win the argument. And they don't read the next verse that says, but always do this with gentleness and respect. Always, not sometimes. Always do this with gentleness and respect for other people. It's, it's possible, guys, to believe that there is something outside of ourselves that we actually can't shape into whatever we want to shape it into and not be a jerk about it. In fact, I find it so ironic. I wish I could go back to that conversation with my uh, person at that dinner conversation I started with. I wish I could say to him, let me just ask you for a second. Is it more arrogant for me to not believe that you're God or for you to think you are? I mean, really. So for some of us, to get to this position, it's an intellectual leap. Because on the one hand, you've got some faith systems in the world that would say, look, um, you've blown it. And the way forward is you've got to work your way day after day, ethics, morality, good deeds. 
you're going to have to work your way up so that God will someday, somehow, maybe you cross a line that you got to get to into saying that you're a good person and God will accept you. That's one way of looking at faith. Another way of looking at faith is saying, you've blown it. We've blown it. But instead of working your way up the ladder, Jesus descends down the ladder himself. The Son of Man comes into our world, lives among us, dies on a cross, rises from the dead. Why? Because you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Now go do great things, not because you're working your way to me, but because of gratitude, of joy, of love for the fact that I have made the first move. Those are different thoughts. It's very difficult to somehow paint that as being all the same, just with different names. Those are different personalities. This personality of God is different than this personality of God. And personality is so key. Without personality, we don't have relationship. Imagine if I said to my wife, Karen, Karen, I've been thinking about this. I've really been thinking that all women are really the same and that there's something called womanhood. And I want a relationship with womanhood, not just you. How's that going to go? I hope not well. I hope she's not like, yes. No, the reason I wouldn't say that is because I have a relationship with Karen. Anything other than that strips away her personality. I can't strip away the personality of Jesus. I can't say to Jesus, Jesus, you know, you're great. You're just like everybody else. And he's looking at me going, I just died on a cross. I guess he didn't need to do that if they're all just the same with different names. Do you see what I'm saying? It cuts away at the uniqueness of the relationship. If you're going to stay in this camp, stay because you have thought out answers to the questions I've just posed. Don't stay in this camp just because it's more socially acceptable. There's another reason why I would not encourage you to stay in this camp. Another reason is sometimes this, people end up in this camp because they're told it's more progressive that it's, it's progressive thinking, right? Um, it's like that dinner conversation I had. Come on, man. You really believe that old stuff? You know what's so ironic about this? This idea that it, what's true for you is true for me and everything, you know, like, that's not just 100 years old. That is thousands of years old. The idea of just multiple spirituality, anything, you guys, Yoda did not think that up. That is older than Yoda. That is older than baby Yoda, if you watch The Mandalorian. <laughs> Okay. Like, no, what, what terrifies me sometimes is people end up in this camp just because they've been marketed to. They've been sold by some podcast. They've been sold by some guy who sounds really smart and write, writes books, that this is a new way to think about this. It's not new. It predates Jesus. It was there when Jesus was alive. You know anything about the ancient creeds, the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed? Those were written because this same dynamic was going on at the time. Some of Paul's letters address this head on in the New Testament. Look at what he says in uh, Colossians chapter 2. He's writing this church that's struggling with this. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ, right? There's some things that are getting talked about that are our own generation. What's true for me is true for me, and whatever I want to believe is true for me. Paul's saying there's an objective reality outside of that. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's addressing exactly the same thing that we're talking about today. If somebody talks to you and says, this is progressive thinking, that's not a reason to stay in this camp. Uh, Before doing this, I was a student pastor for years. And uh, before I, you know, way back, I, I was an intern. And we had a kid as part of the ministry who met somebody down on Pearl Street Mall who uh, was kind of this guy who was kind of a spiritual guy. And he said the same thing to this kid that I loved. I loved this kid. Said to him, hey, you can't possibly believe all that old stuff that the church is telling you about Jesus. Come hang out with me. And the kid ran away from home. The kid ran away from home and was gone for like two nights. The police are out searching for him. We're out searching for him, trying to find this kid. Eventually, we found him, but he had been marketed to. He had been told, that old stuff, don't believe any of that old stuff. That's not progressive. I've got the progressive thought. What's so interesting is his progressive thought has predates Jesus. Come on. If you're going to stay in this camp, my humble encouragement is don't do it because you've been marketed to. Have, have, have a reason. The third one, and I think in some ways maybe the most important that I would say, don't, don't stay in this camp just because of this, is don't stay in this camp just because you're angry at these guys. Don't stay here just because you don't like this crew. There's people in this camp that look at this and go, I have a friend who's gay, and I have seen somebody in this crew treat them awfully. And you look at it and you say, if that's what that's all about, then I'm, I'm going to be as different as I can be from that crew. Or maybe you're in this camp and you go, I'm passionate about the environment. I'm passionate about the world we live in. And I know somebody in this camp who believes in Jesus but doesn't believe in climate change. And because of that, I'm, I'm getting as far away from that person as I possibly can. I'm not going to believe anything that they believe because of that. Or maybe it's Christmas dinner. And you hear somebody who prays for Christmas dinner and thanks Jesus for the food and an hour later says the most racist and sexist thing you've ever heard. And you're up here and you're looking at that going, I want nothing to do with that. Here's my thing, you guys. And by the way, can I keep it real? Is that okay? (laughs) Here's my thing. Don't let this group answer the question, who do you say I am for you? Don't answer the question, who do you say I am, based on a reaction. If you're going to reject Jesus' claim on the Son of Man, reject that. Reject Jesus based on Jesus' merits. Don't reject Jesus' claim on that because of this group. That's a tragedy. Now, if you think, if you think my kind of pushing is just reserved for this group, oof. I'll tell you guys, honestly, the thing I'm most terrified about is me being part of this group. If you look at Jesus' words and you see his interactions with people in the gospel, who did Jesus' most harsh words come out on. 
Jesus' most harsh words were reserved for people who had spent all their time trying to develop the right answers and say the right things and pour over the scriptures and know everything that there is to know about God and yet had completely lost their heart for people. Man, Jesus, one of the most terrifying things that Jesus said was he actually looked at a group that would kind of live down here and said, hey, we got all the answers, but it lost their heart. He looked at somebody and said, you know, it would be better if somebody tied a giant rock around your neck and took you out in the middle of the sea and just dropped you in. Woo. That guy was more than just cool hair and puppy dog eyes. He had some tough things to say. And it was generally reserved for this group. Jesus had dinner with these guys. Jesus had dialogue with these guys. Jesus was harsh with people who had what they thought were the right answers, but had lost their heart for people. Is there a different way? I just wonder. Sports guys in the room now see this and they're like, oh, I finally get it. I get what he's talking about now. (laughs) Um, I wonder if in Jesus' world, if what he cares about needs to win out. Passion for people. Passion for the causes that we care about. Man, that, those, are, those aren't just causes. Those are things that Jesus loves. Jesus loves every person on this planet. Shouldn't the people who follow Jesus be right there with him? And yet at the same time, there's maybe a winner on the other side of the bracket too. Look at how Jesus responds when he says, who do you say I am? I want you to see the interaction that now happens with his disciples. So go, go back to the last one. Yeah, Simon Peter answered to the question, who do you say I am? Here's what Peter says. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the one. You say you're the son of man. I agree with you, Jesus. You are the son of man. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. I agree with you now. Before you see Jesus' response, is a really important response. Does Jesus respond to Peter's confession of faith by saying, Peter, that's so great. And you know what's true for you is true for you. And what's true for this guy is true for him. What's true for those people down in Caesarea Philippi, that's going to be true for them. Is that how he responds? Look at what Jesus says. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Isn't that interesting? He almost takes this head on. No, this isn't a spiritual reality that you create for yourself. This has been revealed to you from outside of yourself, from somebody who exists outside of whatever you want to make him to be. Jesus is saying, this this is where the Spirit lives. That there's causes that I deeply care about and there's people that I deeply care about. And I am the Son of Man. Guys, I think there's a third way. And that's what I think the Lord is calling our church to be. This is ascent. This is where we want to live. 
We want to live here because this is where we think the power of God resides. It's less socially acceptable for sure. But we think it's true that Jesus claims about who he said we have a conviction about those things and we have a conviction that we are to live out in the world those things that Jesus loved and cared about. Some people ask, like, how did your church grow so much in six years? It ain't because we're so smart, okay? It's because I think this is where the power of the Holy Spirit lives. When God sees a group of people who have a passionate love and relationship with him, not just a veneer of spirituality, but a passionate relationship with him, personal, that we're, we're, we know him and we care about him, we're developing that and we're trying, and we also really care about people, that we're gonna do the toy shop and we're gonna do everything that we possibly can to bless people and learn from them in, in return, humbly, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. That's this church. And that's where I hope you live too. Because Jesus has a lot of causes. You want to know what I think one of the coolest causes is? It's you. Yeah, Jesus came to this planet for big macro things, but in the end, it's personal. It's a question that says, who do you say I am? And will you know me? Will you have a relationship with me? Will you follow me? Those are the questions that Jesus is asking today. And I want to take a second, and I just want to spend a moment where we pray and leave just some time open for you to say, God, where am I? As we enter into Christmas, there's no bigger question to answer than who do you say I am? Lord, we want to just humbly come to you. Pray that you would increase how we know you this season, how we love you this season, how we love other people this season, how we interact with the community and the culture around us with gentleness and respect and humility and love and generosity. And yet, Lord, we pray that we would have the courage to humbly say that we believe in you and that you are outside of us. Lord, would you for a moment right now, and I know in this room, we're so many people all over on the spectrum. Would you challenge us today? By your spirit, speak to us and challenge us as we enter this season. I pray right now, God, as I leave this moment of silence, that you would speak to us or we would talk to you, but just in quiet, we pray that we would hear from you. God, thank you for being a personal God who knows the number of hairs on our head. And because of that, your praise will be on our lips today. In Jesus' name.